Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing the greatest animated series you've never seen, Lightning Dogs. These canine commandos are lost on a post-apocalyptic Earth and battling the forces of the evil Glampire. It's a tribute to the cartoons and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, and Nerdy Show is hell-bent on bringing it to life. Blocks sold separately. Join us as we document our quest from the moment lightning struck to every world-building session and beyond and make our crazy dream a reality. Roll with the pack at lightningdogs.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Or at least that's what happens every other week. But sometimes on the in-between weeks, we dive into super specific discussions. In this case, we're going to be talking about Twin Peaks' The Return, now that all 18 parts have been released. So, it should come as no surprise that what lies beyond is going to be super spoilerific. However, if you don't know anything about Twin Peaks and would like to learn more about Twin Peaks, we have a very old episode called Peaks Freaks, where we talk to Schaefer the Dark Lord, who's a big-time Peaks fan. In fact, he was in the Showtime mini-documentary about uh, the Twin Peaks fandom. He does a show here on the Nerdy Show Network called Epic Piecast. And we also talked to Matt Haley, a comic book artist and filmmaker who, at one point, almost, he almost made Twin Peaks Season 3 as a graphic novel with the approval of Mark Frost. But he did not get approval from David Lynch, and the kibosh was put on. The overview that I can give you, the brief spoiler-free review, is that it's good and enjoyable, but oh my, there is quite a lot to talk about, and this session here is going to be cathartic, perhaps? Uh, support is needed. So with me to, uh, <laughs> to help provide me some support is Consequence of Sound and Losers Club's Mike Rothman. How you doing? Welcome back to Nerdy Show. Hey, always love coming here. <laughs> it's a great place. It's a great place. What can I say? Um, if you recognize Mike's voice or Mike's name, it's probably because, well, Consequences Sound is a kick-ass website, and you've maybe visited some, some articles there, read some good stuff by Mike and I. And uh, also, he's been on the show a couple times before, including our uh, X-Files episode with Chris Carter, and more recently, our interview with Richard Kelly, the writer-director of Donnie Darko. That was a fun time. That and I love Donnie time. Darko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to... Uh, us talking about paranormal stuff here on Nerdy Show, paranormal television and film specifically, uh, Mike Rothman can't be too far behind. Hey, it's my forte. What can I say? <laughs> I, I love spooky ghosts and goblins <laughs> <laughs> and a little, uh, you know, aliens running around every once in a while. <laughs> we should also mention here at the top, the Losers Club, 
a Stephen King podcast presented by Consequence of Sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually sitting in the, the Losers Club house at this point. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, we've never recorded a nerdy show in Chicago before, I don't think, for any reason. I don't think it's ever happened. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so we're here in the Consequence of Sound offices where they record Losers Club talking about Twin Peaks instead. Yeah, we've actually never called it the Losers Clubhouse, which is kind of, that's the first time, and uh, I guess it fits. (laughs) We are the Losers Club, and uh, this is our little house. So we have plenty of Stephen King books, as you can see behind you. Um, Oh, geez, no shit. I didn't even see that. (laughs) There's a a ton of them. For some reason, I bought the Art of the Dark Tower book, but uh, yeah, which we haven't finished yet. Uh, which tells you how much we love the movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we got a lot of uh, Stephen King artwork, including your own. You actually did the, the drawing of King that's above me. Yeah, and uh, well, on the day this episode comes out, a massive article is going to be on Consequence of Sound about Stephen King film and television adaptations, which I also did some new artwork for. Yeah, it's great. We actually just scanned it. We just literally scanned it in yeah. this very room. Yes. Wow. In the clubhouse. We actually have a scanner in the clubhouse. Wow. Too. You've got everything. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, when I grew up and I had a treehouse, I never in a million years thought, you know, I would really love to have an HP office jet 8620 <laughs> in the corner of my treehouse right now. <laughs> uh, but we do. And, and it makes it that much better. And it's part of us. Well, let's cut to the chase. Oh, yeah. Because we have a lot to talk about. And we're going to attempt to make this not two hours long. Yeah, we're going to, because you have somewhere to go too. I do have somewhere so, to go. Um, you know, you can catch me on a Twitch stream of One Shot playing some board games. I uh, can't remember the name. Something Magica, uh, School of Magic, tabletop game of some kind. But I will link it on this episode's <laughs> page. I have not yet played it, therefore I do not remember it. It has yet hap- not yet happened. But uh, is it past or is it future? I don't know. Here come the spoilers about Twin Peaks: The Return. The elephant in the room is the finale, mm-hmm. and. I don't want to talk about the finale. <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk about the finale. <laughs> so, so we're not um, yet. Yeah. But to, to start, because Twin Peaks episodes 1 through 17 of The Return are a very different animal from mm-hmm. what happens in episode 18. Yeah. And worth talking about and worth isolating from the rest of what happens. Yeah, I think that's fair. In short, I loved it. It was a thrilling experience not being aware of the first Twin Peaks when it was on television because I was very young at the time, having this week-to-week obsession and, and not having any clue where it was going, I mean, I've never experienced anything to this level. Yeah, it, it, it's been very overwhelming. Um, the past three months have been some of the best experiences I've had with the television medium. Uh, I, th- I think when it started back in May, it was this huge, you might say a nuclear explosion, uh, went off, um, in my own head. And it just was like this overwhelming feeling. Overwhelming is the best way I can describe it because the emotions that I've had from this series alone is just so separate from everything that I've ever seen on television, even in film too. I mean, I've, this has been life in a way for me, Mm. you know, I've, I've week to week, Going back to the week-to-week model is, is already such a novel idea because that doesn't really exist as much anymore. You know, so much of it is binge-watching and so much is, is, you know, streaming, like, instantaneously. And we've been kept in the dark for so long about everything involving Twin Peaks that when we're finally back in it, we're still kept in the dark week-to-week. And it, it has become, the best way I could describe it is overwhelming because you just, you never know what to expect. And even at the very last second, we didn't know what to expect last night. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way I can summarize it for myself, at least. And also, we've seen a lot of revivals, um, most notably the disaster that was the X-Files revival. And this has been the most 
perfect revival of a property like ever. It was yeah. it harnessed everything that was amazing and captivating about the original series, modernized the format, and then managed to do all that while telling extraordinarily new stories and introducing a whole cast of new characters. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect to be this entranced by the TV show. And I was pretty, I mean, my expectations going in this were very high. You know, I had attended the Festival of Disruption last year in Los Angeles, which is David Lynch's own music festival. And at that point, I thought, there's no way my excitement can get any higher than this. I mean, they had advertisements. They had all these acts that were hyping all the music from the old series and kind of hinting at stuff to come. And I just was, I, you know, I, was, I started getting very, very excited because we, we hadn't at that point, hadn't even seen any footage from the series. And then all of a sudden the promotional material started coming out of the series and just little flashes of Coop or, you know, Andy or Lucy even. And, and, and it was just very exciting then. And then when we had that two part premiere, it was just like another level. Like I could not experience this type of fandom. It became a part of my DNA. And it was really, it was a four-part premiere. Like It was you, a four-part premiere, yeah. Depending on how you were watching it. Yeah. And it was so, we were watching it together, and I remember yeah. being so floored mm-hmm. by how much there was familiar, how much there was different, and how much how everything that was new felt exciting and right and a part of the fabric of it. Yeah. And as the series evolved, you know, it had parts that were not as good as the rest of it, but all the, the narratives about the citizens of, of Twin Peaks were fun and fulfilling, even down to Wally Brando. Wally Brando, the <laughs> controversial appearance of Michael Sarah. Uh, <laughs> not very controversial, but very tongue-in-cheek. I would say it's the most tongue-in-cheek moment of the actual series, from beginning to end, actually. Yeah, but a moment that just showed that the series was ready and willing to capture the uncomfortable charm of the original. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that appeared in the fir- the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was definitely it was in the like pr- three. Yeah, I think it was like yeah. three. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of moments in this return that not in. Yeah, I would say infuriated me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I still think the whole Audrey Horn narrative is the most like tantalizing and annoying um, aspect of this. I almost wish that she hadn't been involved, um, because I just think that that part of it became such a an annoying red herring in the end, especially now knowing what we do, what we know from beginning to end. And I understand that thematically it ties into I, a lot of the bigger you know, things. I wouldn't say knowing what we know. I'd say seeing what we've seen, seeing what we've seen because we, we don't, we can't know anything. No, no, there is no way of knowing. Um, especially in that last 55 minutes or to an hour or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, there is definitely sections and parts where I was just like, uh, okay, well this is a little, you're pushing the buttons a little bit too much, uh, Mr. Lynch. But uh, for overall, I mean, rarely did I ever roll my eyes and go, oh, God, this is just too much. Um, it really was just the Audrey Horn scenes because that that just those, those bugged me so much, especially the one where she's waiting for the telephone call with Charlie and he keeps talking about Tina and he won't tell her what it is. And it's just, I, I get what Lynch and Frost were trying to do there, but oh my God, the most like annoying 10 minute scene I've ever seen in my life. Right. And it was, I mean, it was all infuriating and it was meant to be infuriating. It was meant to put you in Audrey's state of mind. Yeah. But all of that without any kind of more tangible payoff Mm -hmm. is absolutely dirty pool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of dirty pool going on in this, uh, in this 18 part series, but 
I can't really even wrestle with that too much because they're there's it's so minor in the long you know in the long run because there are so many exceptional moments yeah chilling moments chilling yeah very chilling i uh, mean good god uh the uh, woodsman yeah part eight got a light we actually got a chance to see it on the big screen at the music box here in chicago after a screening of uh, a 4k restoration of fire walk with me and yeah. it was front to back incredible and i mean part eight is one of the most remarkable at least half hours of television anyone's ever made just shocking an amazing short film mm-hmm. i mean when that nuclear bomb goes off is just where are we going <laughs> you know and, and i think fans of 2001 a space odyssey will surely revel in like where he takes us in that sequence and um the penderecki themes that were that he used for to score it were exceptional also um very kubrickian yeah, um, and, and, and the rich paranormal history that's woven into that moment of the first detonation of an atomic bomb that's tied in with all the history that comes out of the book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. which if you haven't read it is absolutely, uh, at this point, I mean, you should. And then we've got the final dossier coming out in October, which you, can't come soon enough. What's funny is before that episode for Part 8, I had actually been reading all the nuclear sections of that book. Mm. But that so hit hard. I, it did, yeah, and and that was kind of why at first I was a little dismissive of Part Eight. I mean, because I had texted you that night, and I was just like, and we had both. I mean, just right afterwards, we were like, "What mm-hmm. the hell?" Like that was crazy. And a part of me was very flustered at the idea that I thought that it did it revealed too much. Um, and that's my that was my thing. I th- I thought it was actually they showed way too much in that, <laughs> wow. in that whole episode. They did. I, I really I, I and I still kind of think that because. We now know where all the where where the quote unquote good and quote unquote evil, you know, dwells and how they they came to be and where it spawned from. Especially when you read all the inferences in the secret history and you know that it was you know it's a commentary on the nuclear age and just the not the fall of mankind but the you know the downfall of mankind of just what their creation opened up and the the sort of reality that it kind of broke upon our own, um, with that nuclear bomb. And, and for me, it was just a lot of, uh, world building that was, that, that I saw initially as just too much to revealing too much under the hood. Uh, no pun intended since there's a scene with a mechanic, uh, that's working under the hood. It's reaching. Um, it is reaching. Um, (laughs) but then I watched it, you know, I thought about it a little bit more and I, and I was like, no, this is, what am I nuts? Like, this is just, this is remarkable television, but um, I don't think um, it's I'm so I don't think it's as bizarre narratively as a lot of people are making when you actually look at all the pieces. I think it's actually very straightforward. Um, it's one of the most straightforward things to have happened. Yes, <laughs> it really is. Um, which is funny because most people, I didn't think they were going to be able to top part eight in terms of really throwing people, uh, you know, a wrench. But um, <laughs> part eighteen. Good God. It's more complicated and, and, and crazy than any of his films, I think, even over Inland Empire, which is what I thought was at the, the, his three-hour-plus magnum opus that is insane and you know puts the pretzel in pretzel logic um, that, I, I, that I've, you know, I've ever watched. Yeah. Lost I, I, Highway as well. And Lost Highway, yeah. I mean, this makes Lost Highway, I feel, look like you know, a 100-piece puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> And I haven't really been able to sit and wrestle with it as much as I should. Well, yeah, I guess we should we should just dive into this now. I mean, for all the accomplishments of the horrors that Sarah Palmer was undergoing, all the encoded 
cryptic messages in this thing that we have yet to even decipher. I mean, there's and, so many numbers. Uh, the true bliss of Dougie Jones and and all the comedy moments there, especially Mr. Jackpots. Oh, yeah. Um, Hello. Oh. <laughs> it's been a hell of a ride and one that I, I don't regret having taken. I mean, in 17, when when all the pieces, the Twin Peaks pieces specifically, start coming together and we have this ensemble cast reunited in one glorious moment for what was actually a shockingly satisfying confrontation with Bob, yeah. done visually like quite well. And Lucy being the one to deliver like a, a killing blow there. That tag back or that callback with Lucy and the cell phone thing from the very beginning was genius. Oh my God, yes. Was just genius. Because the minute that Coop calls, the real Coop or good yeah. Coop, calls when he's on his way in the car. I was like, I cannot believe this. This is such a great callback to the beginning. Something that you thought was just annoying and stupid yeah. and whatever we ended up being a brilliant character yeah. piece for one of our most beloved characters. <laughs> yeah. And and in 17 has certainly felt more like the finale than 18 in a way. Like I I just I think someone had described it as like 17 was the ser- this the season finale and the 18 was just like the premiere of a new sort of story and show, I guess. Well, what you could argue that 17 is the finale for Twin Peaks. Yes. And as far as the town mm-hmm. and, the, and if there is anything that comes after, because we have at this point, I mean, how, by the time you hear this, maybe fortune has favored us and we, we heard something about a fourth season or something, but the, the next thing would be the sequel to Firewalk with me. Yeah. Like that's, that seems like what's happening. You know, or it's the end, which we can go in where, I mean, I imagine we're going to be going into, but right now I, yep. I, 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 what I will say is 17. I love the back to the future part two style, like Coop going back in time into the firewalk with me scenes with between James and, and uh, Laura. And, and yeah. And having like secret <laughs> footage of original, like of Laura there, like talking to Coop. And I think that that, well, I think that was more, um, I don't think that was from back and firewalk with me though. I, th- I think they shot that and they actually used like edits to like, I feel like they had, um, really? yeah. Cause if they, if you see like, there's like clever angles that they use with Sarah or not Sarah, but Laura, when she's in the forest talking and especially when he's, when she's holding his hand and they're walking, they do the, an angle behind her for a large part of it. Right. And yeah. then they have in front of her, it's, they almost superimpose her older face on uh, her, her younger one, I'm, I was I was fo- I was absolutely focused on that. Like the, when the when time. she's talking directly to Coop, but yeah, and it's it's far away enough where you can actually distort it enough for that they can huh. keep it. I, I they just, definitely shot that scene now, um, really for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. But even then, like just the way they tied it together and the fact that she was screaming at Coop that entire time is unbelievable. Um, I, I just love how they were able to kind of rework that scene to their favor. I mean, maybe it was that was their intention the entire time. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, if if that footage actually is from Firewalk with me, yeah, then then yes, I guess they did intend for that to be the case. But if, or at least for you know for some purpose, maybe not the purpose we ended up seeing. But if they just did it, then it seems like a convenience because you know that's Laura just screaming randomly is you know well within line. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I love that scene and and to to hear. The world spins by Julie Cruz, a new version of it actually, um, with the chromatics. Like that just blew me away, also. And it was very emotional, it was very hard hitting. But it was like watching Back to the Future Part Two. If at the very end, <laughs> uh, Doc gets zapped and goes back to 1885, and nobody 
from uh, the, the Western Union <laughs> comes with a letter <laughs> for Marty. <laughs> and he is just wandering around like, I guess I'll go back to Doc's house and we figure this out together without a DeLorean, without ever knowing a DeLorean exists. Yeah. And they're trapped there. And that's how I kind of took it. And with part 18, Coop is just stuck in some other world. And let's go in, I guess, go into it. I mean, yeah, let's let's do it. Here's something that I found on the uh, the Welcome to Twin Peaks forums. This is a post from a guy named uh, Henry Steger called Completely Disillusioned After 17 and 18. And I feel like this really just, this is definitely where I was last night. It maybe is where I still am. I feel like I've been punched in the stomach. I cherish the ride. I really have each and every part until tonight. Twin Peaks became Inland Empire. And don't get me wrong, I continue to be fascinated by Inland Empire, but that's not what Twin Peaks was. It, seems to me, was always grounded in reality, in the characters we loved, with delicious happenings of the surreal in terms of supernatural elements. But after finally getting Cooper back, he's gone again into a nightmare, a nightmare that I cannot comprehend. I really have no idea what's going on at the end of Part 17 and the entirety of 18. Is it all a dream? Multiple realities? Never happened? Fourth wall breaking? I don't feel challenged, as in I want to watch over and over and figure this out. I feel dropped off a cliff. I really don't want to see part 17 and 18 ever again. They're like bad memories. I want to forget. I disagree with that, but especially 17. Cooper began to not feel like Cooper again. World's most uncomfortable sex scene? Why God? No, I'm not saying I've wasted all this time for nothing. I've really enjoyed the journey, but this decision taken in the last two hours has certainly soured my overall opinion of the 18-hour movie, and it's left me just disillusioned. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of fair points there. I do think that there is something to be said that Inland Empire is not Twin Peaks. There, It isn't. I mean, Twin Peaks was an extension of Blue Velvet. I always looked at Blue, as Blue Velvet as the beginning of Twin Peaks because a lot of Twin Peaks from the logging town to even the, the do-gooder coupe to the 50s aesthetics to the, um, the coffee pie, all that stuff came from Blue Velvet. It was, a, it, was, it was definitely motifs that he took, that Lynch took, and made it into serialized television while also subverting the soap opera because there are aspects of Blue Velvet where he is indeed doing that, mm-hmm. um, especially with all the family life uh, scenarios. And the whole concept of good versus evil and that the, that there's always going to be the seedy underbelly over any picturesque location, like you know the opening shot of Blue Velvet where you see the white picket fence and the gorgeous roses and the blue skies, and then you pan down and there's bugs that are crawling underneath the ground. And, you know, the, the, the speech that... that you know, um, uh, Laura Dern's, uh, character, uh, uh, she gives to, um, to Jeffrey, uh, Dale Cooper, I mean, Dale Cooper, Kyle McLaughlin, <laughs> uh, when they talk about the Robins and then, uh, you know, and, and then, uh, Je- uh, Kyle McLaughlin's character starts talking about, you know, why are do people like Frank Booth exist? Like the, all those themes inform Twin Peaks. Yeah. And, and, and I, so the original series is, is certainly, an extension of that. And there's a large part of this new series that is that. But where I differ with this is that Lynch clearly made this a greatest hits of his own thing. I mean, there's no way that you can watch the 18, this whole 18 hour epi, like opus <laughs> and, and not see literally parts of every one of his films in it. I mean, including the straight story, including, uh, the, even Dune for an extent. I mean, I, I think well, there's Dune. <laughs> I think there's a lot of parts with Dune with like, even with part eight, like, I think you could see some of his stuff in there with, with, with regards to how he handles a lot of the, the sprawling narrative of that film. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, and I think that there's a lot of Eraserhead also. I mean, certainly a lot of Eraserhead, especially in part, um, part eight, because a lot of his earlier experimental films are definitely slotted into that. And then you see a lot of his motifs from his music videos over the years, which a lot of his like you know scraggly CGI and that he that he does that his 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 own thing. Um, there's a ton of Lost Highway. There's I mean almost mostly informed by like a lot of Lost Lost Highway. There's also a lot of Wild at Heart stuff with like the rebellious crazy teenagers that you know with a lot of the weird stuff that happens at the Roadhouse is a lot is very similar to a lot of scenes in Wild at Heart also. Yeah, um, even some of the villains. Or like I, I almost feel like Balthazar Getty's character Red is almost like a lot of a lot of the stuff that's in um, uh, Wild at Heart too. But and then of course Mulholland Drive. I mean Mulholland Drive is is just all over this 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 entire eighteen hour event, and 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 that really was the change for Lynch was Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. So for this to become Inland Empire at the end. Especially towards the end makes sense to me. Do I like that? Not really, because <laughs> I think it would have been a far more compelling bookend to me to be able to kind of return it to a sense of place that you had it. Right. One of the most frustrating things about this is that we is that the seventeen had so many successes and was like was yeah. like near, nearing what could have been an ultimate conclusion for Twin Peaks. Something that we've never seen before is a show coming back and delivering a satisfying finale. I mean, like the. Again, just look at fucking X Files. Just look at it. It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, Twin Peaks had all of it within its grasp. Showed that Lynch was clearly capable. Well, Lynch and Frost both were clearly capable of, of you know, of actually creating something that could feel final. And then said, "Ah, but this is Twin Peaks and uh, uncomfortable cliffhangers and you, the fan base, dealing with the emotionally emotional repercussions of of not knowing what the fuck is happening um, is a part of the culture now. So let's swerve over into this direction and start a new story. It's like there's a very grief like experience that I'm having emotionally in my head. It's like thoughts that keep running in circles." And uh, you know, going to the internet looking to see if something's changed. Mm-hmm. Like, is there is there news yeah. updates on the on the on the ongoing crisis of of all this? And there's a lot of people who are resigned that no, this is you know this is it, and we need to take what we've been given and and find the, what the bigger narrative is. And the suggestion for the bigger narrative, if this is in fact the end, more often than not, seems to point to going up against a force as great as the experiment, the mother, Zhao Dai, Judy is impossible and Coop has made this horrible mistake and is like stuck in this other reality or waking up to another reality because it was effectively all a dream. And one thing that's inarguable is that 18 
perfectly and exactly mirrors what happens as someone's sort of beginning to wake up and dreams become fragmented. Yeah. And it's masterfully done, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because because of what it means for everything that we've invested ourselves in emotionally. And on the one hand, well, that's a fine piece of artwork for Lynch to have all made us experience this and, and gone through these feelings and so on. That to to replicate the sensation of something that we've all felt in like in waking up from a dream and being snapped from something that we want to go back to and finding that none, it's none of it's real, no matter how much a part of us has been spiritually invested in it. And if that's if that's his art, it's fascinating and extremely cruel. Yeah. But I also feel like there's too much there that points to it not being just a dream because you can't have Laura waking up at the end along Mm -hmm. with Dale being this hybrid, like clearly a hybrid good and evil Dale, like Mm -hmm. an ambivalent Dale, uh, not not necessarily a realistic Dale, but definitely a character who's both the plucky Agent Cooper we love and also bad Coop. Yeah, my wife, uh, Heather Kaplan, she had some good theories about how it's those that acknowledge the dual sides of their personality that actually get out at the end. And it's those that can't um, actually uh, wrestle with the idea that there are two sides to, to every personality. You know, there there is the good and the evil within us all. And there are those that acknowledge those, that conceit. And there are those that are always trying to go to be the idealistic and p- to be the just the pure. And, I mean, you look at Norma. Um, one of her examples was Norma and how she acknowledges that the fantasy that she was living in with, with big Ed was just that a fantasy, which is why she ejected it. And that's why she was able to find pure happiness. And, um, and that's why, you know, Ed was inevitably, inevitably able to have his own, uh, mm-hmm. he's he live his own sort of happiness. Um, and even if you think about it with Norma, you know, she rejected this idea that her diner was going to be successful. She wanted to find her own, her own sort of happiness in, a, in another way. Like, you know, she could have had this like widespread success, but no, she stayed with her own. But I think the, the, the choice that Nadine makes is really interesting um, as that, because that is, that is an interesting, um, you know, conflict there. Cause Cooper always is just trying to do the good and right thing. And we've seen just, we've seen those two opposites, and the fact that we've never really seen him as this multifaceted person that has to deal with these more complex issues is 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 telling. I mean, think about it. Like, he's never really had a relationship so much on the show other than just pure unadulterated love. Like, he had a relationship with Annie, which they've <laughs> totally written off. Um, and he obviously had, like, you know, Audrey had her, you know, his feel her feelings for him which he obviously said no because she's really young and she's a high schooler still. Um, and that's, you know, taboo. But there was never really a relationship for Coop that was actually real and complex that had these, you had to go through these this tug of war and these feelings and they they brought, they bring out certain emotions in you that aren't always just good. They, they could be, you know, they could be, they're just far more complex. It's like that to bring up Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about that, that scene where he talks about love and fear. Yeah. And he said, well, no, that's the, you know, the, the universe is far more complex than that. You can't just put things in, in love and fear. Like that, you know, there it's far more nuanced than that. Looking back at the old Daryl Cooper, he's not a very nuanced character when it comes to emotions. He's either, he's, he's good. He's always striving. He's, he's the embodiment of virtue. Exactly. And so what we see at the end here goes to your, the, the what you just explained like it, it is him almost waking up as to being the more human being and dealing with 
more complexities. I mean, like, for example, like his relationship with Diane would never happen because there are things that, that, that happened that just, that are preventing that, that, you know, and for that he has to experience loss. And that's a part that is, you know, it almost triggers something else that's within, within inside him. And he's still trying to hold on to this idea that he can make things right, but you can't. Right. You know, I mean, and this one, and this is where it goes back to the argument that if, if Twin Peaks is over, then here's the art right here. What yeah. we're doing, we're analyzing this, and there's so many ways to analyze it. Mm-hmm. David Lynch has, has created some. Well, Lynch and Frost have both created something that can be analyzed ad nauseum forever, and they'll and there will never be a right answer. Mm-hmm. And granted, I'm still going through all of this, so that's all stream of consciousness. Yes, but <laughs> right. But the yeah. the other thing is that is that narratively speaking, so far the chops have been proven. Both of them clearly know what they're doing and know how to manipulate their audience and know the facets of the story that were set up in Fire Walk with Me in ways that we never have predicted, not in yeah. a million years. Yeah. They are clearly very good at what they do. So then we find ourselves in a situation where Coop exiting the curtains in Glastonbury Grove meets up with Diane. We don't know when, but we know that she's got the red hair denoting that she's the real Diane. Yeah. So imagine it was, you know, back in the present time of what we saw them before. Right. One would imagine, but time has no meaning. You're yeah. traveling through time gateways, but then also potentially uh, dimensional gateways, and we don't mm-hmm. know what's happening. And then they get in this car, and there's a plan, a plan that we, the audience, are not privy to, and it's this withholding. This, this really, The withholding is the greatest betrayal, I feel, because we don't understand what these characters are trying to accomplish and what these characters who we care about greatly are willing to sacrifice everything for. Yeah. Because Diane says, we're not going to be the same, and she's fucking right, because they go through whatever portal that is. Side note, in our episode from years ago, Peaks Freaks, where we talked with Matt Haley, who got notes for season three, there was a point about driving through a tunnel to like go to the lodge or something like that, that like mm-hmm. like driving specifically as a, as a method for getting someplace. And it seemed like a weirdly similar, this dimensional, mm-hmm. dimensional Well, they drive. just drive right through it. Yeah. You know, um, they go 430 miles from Glastonbury Grove. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then they go into a motel. Diane sees a doppelganger of herself. The weird sex scene happens. Diane's not there. There's a letter with names that are not Diane and Coop. Well, and then he, and then they exit a different hotel. Cooper goes to the lobby. Right. You know, and I think at that point, something happens. He walks into that lobby and then he comes out. And a part of me wonders if that's where the change happened. Right. Uh, Or it just happened instantaneously the second they got in there. And it's like 2000, at the ending of 2001, where it's this slow progression of, you know, changing, taking to place, you know, time catching up with them or them catching up with time, perhaps. Here's some stuff I got from, from Reddit, some flotsam, uh, Zhao Dai in Chinese has a number of meanings. So this is a bit flimsy, but among their, among its meanings is to hand over, to explain, to make clear, to brief, to account for, to justify oneself, to confess, to finish, Hmm. which could mean that this mother of all chaos or (laughs) that explanation is the enemy. And that's that's what's happening here. Zhao Dai, the explanation is is the great enemy, and something will never, you know, achieve. Yeah. Uh, and then a, a another Reddit user pointed out that Odessa is a feminine form of wrath in Greek, mm. and there he is like hunting for Judy in the world of wrath, which is definitely that of you know a creature created by a nuclear fire or 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 allowed into this world through a gateway of nuclear fire. I mean, when we see Laura, or you know Carrie, <laughs> Carrie Page as she's been called now, there's like a dead body in there. It's almost like the ending of Blue Velvet. <laughs> there's just this body just sitting in her house yeah. in Odessa that's buzzing with flies that clearly blew its brains out, or she did. Who knows? Who knows? And, and ambivalent Coop doesn't ask about no. it. 
Although he sees a white horse on the mantle. Right, which is maybe a symbol of the fantasy world is now, you know, reality. reality, Or maybe it's a clue. I don't, you know, I don't know. The the horse is the white of the eyes. Yeah. Whatever that means. (laughs) And the darkness within. That scene itself was very Inland Empire because it it almost even looked like the same location. It just, and and that whole thing is in, in the movie, Laura Dern's character is just floating from one world to the other. And you cannot tell whatsoever what is reality anymore at that point which i guess is the you know is the i mean it's the commentary that they're trying to make i guess with with twin peaks here yeah we got another theory this one comes from someone from nerdy show luke stram who's the game master of the call of cthulhu mystery program which if uh, you haven't seen all the news briefs is our uh, tabletop role-playing rpg audio drama Mm -hmm. we did one a couple years ago and it's coming back we've just recorded part two And uh, Luke's, again, the game master for that. So he's a big Peaks freak himself. And he says, so I'm of two minds about the season three finale. One is that there's a lot of ambiguity because Lynch Frost want to keep going and do more. Two is a bit more complicated. If it's more final, then Good and Bad Cooper both failed for the same reasons. They marched along trying to solve unsolvable problems without appreciating the cosmic level of the forces arrayed against them. Even with Bob in tow, all the coordinates Mr. C collected were traps by the lodge. Mm -hmm. Coop similarly tried to cheat a spirit of indeterminate power, despite repeated examples of how the Lodge doesn't respond to time normally. Episode 18 is a changed reality caused by his interference. When he wakes up, he's able to hold on to who he was on account of all his extreme drive to fix things and his previous Lodge dealings. He is definitely not the same, now an amalgamation of Coop and the doppelganger. At the end, the house is occupied by Lodge spirits that are messing with him. Laura, given her deep connection to the Lodge and her previous trauma, is eventually able to see through it and things come crashing down again. He's now stuck in an unending nightmare quantum leap of an unsolvable case akin to how Sarah Palmer was living with an ending misery in that house, and that misery is what he tried to take from that mother spirit, but she's getting her Garmon Bosia one way or another. Yeah. By all accounts, if he had just stopped, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're in the, the sheriff's station, he's back, he took away evil coop. If he had just stopped, and that was it. It probably would, everyone would just live on, that's it, yada, yada, yada. You'd be able to solve whatever drug problem is going on. Maybe I'd finally see my scene I wanted between Bobby and Red that I didn't get (laughs) because I wanted more Bobby Briggs, not just what the hell's going on here. But I think what's interesting is that we know that Laura is the one because that's what they say to to us. And we also saw it because they have the gold ball with Laura Mm -hmm. in part eight, uh, much to my chagrin. Um, And you know, they punch the ball out there and then Laura was put in this world to counteract the evil. Uh, Maybe, maybe let's just say that's the case. I imagine that's the case because it very, it it seems that way when you have the Bob ball (laughs) (laughs) dropping into earth and then they had to, they get the, you know, the giant and what presumably is the white lodge um, gets the, the, the ringing as the, as the nuclear bomb has gone off and all this evil has spread and we're going to put Laura there. Now, the way I look at it, and the reason why I don't know how this could possibly be a finite conclusion, other than just for the sake of ambiguity and allowing for more theories, is the sense that the experiment, which was was Judy or uh, Jodai, um, is at going after Laura and wants to to take Laura down because Laura is supposed to be the counteract to her, and mm-hmm. so that's. I mean, obviously Laura dies because it's at the hand of Bob. Um, so evil wins. And that's why we see in the town is going to fall the same way that happened in Deer Meadow and any other town before it. It's just going to, all the goodness is sucked out of it. I mean, whereas in the original series, we saw that good was 
very prevalent and that the evil was in the corners. It was vice versa this time. It was good was in the corners and evil was absolutely prevalent all over Twin Peaks. So good one because Laura died essentially. And that's goes back to the part eight thing because Laura was supposed to be the good. Now I understand why, you know, if Coop is being told Laura is the one by multiple, you know, basically you have Leland himself saying you got to find Laura. And I believe it was the giant that said Laura is the one. The log lady said the it a number lady. of times. Log lady says it a number of times. And so there's this idea that, that Laura needs to be saved. At least Coop thinks so. And you have Coop that, you know, he tries to save her by going back in time. He tries to now go into another parallel unit to find her. I guess the ambiguity, maybe the only solace that we could have is that Laura does hear Sarah at the end. And her scream hopefully awakens some sort of thing, maybe. The, pro- the, the Again, the problem I have with all this is that if you set in motion this good versus evil thing with Laura being the safety, the safety, why did you end it this way? When it seems that you don't really necessarily say whether, I mean, I get it why ambiguity is always going to be a more interesting option. But the way it's set up... It almost just feels like just the beginning, the penultimate chapter of of something. Right. There should be at least another film. Just something else to be able to to not even give us another concrete ending, but just to be able to to kind of I know it's hard to describe, which I guess plays into the dream thing. Because think of how many times you wake up and you're like, I don't know what the hell just happened. Yeah. You know, why I've been affected, but I've been affected. So, I mean, it it is genius in that way. And I do love it for that. But it's also, I also just want to take a gun and blow my brains out. (laughs) Right. Because like, Like, I mean, there was this, because they had, they had set up an expectation and not a concrete one and nothing that you should never expect something from an auteur like David Lynch, but the good versus evil narrative was, was so strongly in place. And, and why would, and, and this idea that, that Coop was at a, as was wrong to try to do that is absurd to me because he was informed by everyone yeah. else. This coming from the man who's a proponent of transcendental meditation founded on the belief that if we all simply practice this, we would like, we would, we would achieve world peace. Sorry, I don't buy it. I think this is just a, a step before the next journey. It I could be, so. but it better it, be. I mean, I don't know. I, I, the way that when it's episodic television and you end it with such a zinger like that, and, a, and you also have the stinger with Audrey, which which also is why I'm still kind of like bothered yeah. by this, is that why do you put these in there? Like there's ways to be ambiguous and you've done it multiple times you, in your we, filmography. You can see that he's done it correctly, like in a way Tons that's, of times. That's, that's satisfying and also intriguing. Exactly. Like go look at Mulholland Drive. It's wrapped up perfectly. This thing is just, it, it feels so unfinished to me in a way that that I feel... By saying, oh, no, 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 it's supposed to be designed as a dream, seems like a cop-out to me. Right, like, exactly. You know, and I feel that in my own heart, like, I, it's not betrayal is not the right word, because that's a little too, um, you know, maudlin. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it does feel like, no, there's something else that's that's missing, and I'm not going to dismiss that feeling. Maybe that's what Cooper feels, and that's what we're supposed to understand, you know? Yeah. Like, because like you said before, my irritated feelings were similar to what Audrey's feeling. Maybe I'm supposed to feel what Cooper feels at the end. And that's powerful. But um, I mean, it is art. It has <laughs> affected us. There's no arguing that. Yeah. But it was always going to be that. So we have questions. We still have many, many, many questions. But well, what is the final dossier even going to be about? Right. And that's another <laughs> thing. The final dossier, why have this book if it doesn't count, if it's all a dream? Therefore, this must not be the true ending. Yeah. Or it's meant for us to decide 
what the true ending is, but truly the world of Twin Peaks still exists. Maybe it's just a bunch of white pages and then Tammy Preston, just like <laughs> photos of Krista Bell. <laughs> Either way, that's all we have to say about it now. We'll certainly have more to say about it later and hopefully we'll get some deeper clarity on things. And certainly Lynch can't survive another 25 years, so it'll come sooner than later if there is anything to come. I'm sure here on the Nerdy Show Network, you can uh, get some additional Peaks talk on, I'm just guessing, I don't know this, I'm just guessing, the next episode of Epic Piecast because Schaefer the Dark Lord is the most diehard Peaks freak and uh, there's no way he's not going to talk about this too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, well, please support us. Go to nerdyshow.com support for links to our Patreon where you can give a one-time donation, links to where you can shop through Amazon and give back to us in return. Or if you liked it, then hop on iTunes or Podchaser and give us a review. We'll be back next week with, you know, something that uh, everyone can listen to without, <laughs> without the exclusivity of Twin Peaks. But hey, there's probably much more to talk about. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or the Nerdy Show forums. We will keep this conversation going. We can't not. It's, it's hard. It's, yeah, this is hard. Thanks it's for going forever. Thanks for, um, thanks for joining us in our support group. Let's rock. I come from a small town, but it's filled with secrets. Happy like a sad clown, deeply steeped in regret. Headlights, yellow light, flying on the highway. Stoplight swinging in the night, guiding my way. I say, half of that which happened seems absurd. Motifs in the imagery, taught at me like fire and birds. Words seem so strange when isolated, juxtaposed, and repeated by a creeper. And I meet a lot of those. I'm in a smoky room, sweating out of control. A jazz record crackles at me through an old Victrola. She's there. And I get the feeling somehow That I've never really known her At least not until now Then she's gone And I know she's gone on somewhere That the air is filled with brushes Gently touching on a snare And a saxophone wails out It cries like it longs For the man who used to play it But we all know he's gone And a woman silently sings a sad Spanish song A suave man croons into a work lamp and it's on And the radio blares across the desert and on Could this really be? Or was it all a dream? Is there any Scratch my head, I guess I'm always left with guesses Left the people mad, I mean it seemed to answer questions There were very long pauses in the dialogue And I spy a very pretty girl, I'm pretty sure she's gonna die It's like it's night time, all the time, shadows so fast My life's a David Lynch movie, which I've been cast Everybody swears a lot, everybody smokes Everybody speaks in code, I never get their jokes I am on the wrong side of Lincoln, man, these people got demons. The men don't have eyebrows, the women are screaming. I take a chicken walk down to the diner. Cause if Isabella's in this picture, I'ma find her. There is a little man, and he's scarily dancing. But he doesn't bother Jack Nance or Harry Dean Stanton. Laura Dern is concerned, something will make her dead quick. I'm crying like the baby in Eraserhead, sick. Nick Cage is in snakeskin, he howls at the moon. I'd mention Spice and Sand, but I never made it through Dune. We hear the at Silencio, but there's no applause. What's with all these references to Wizard of Oz? But Dalamenti is haunting me, Robert Loggia is tripping. I am not an animal, Paps Blue Ribbon. There's a man in back of this place, his face is all rotten. We got a fresh pot of coffee, we got Kyle McLaughlin. And I'll see you in the morning sun. Cue the Roy Orbison. Could this really be? Or was it all a dream? Is there any meaning in between these creepy scenes? I just shrug and scratch my head, I guess I'm always left with guesses. People that I meet can seem to answer questions. There are very long pauses in the dialogue, and I spy a very pretty girl. I'm pretty sure she's gonna die. It's like it's nighttime all the time. Get in the car. My life's a David Lynch movie, which 
I'm the star Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.